3: You're listening to
1: Radio Lab, Lab.
3: the Lab. podcast
4: Radio
1: Lab. from
3: WNYC
1: and
0: NPR.
4: Hello, I'm Jad Abumrad. I'm Robert Kelwich. This is Radio Lab, the podcast. Yep. And today on our podcast, we have four little stops we're going to make, all centered around that thing which none of us can avoid that's coming for us all. I'm talking of course about the big D. Well, we all know we're going to die. Hmm.
3: Except some of our science friends. (laughs) Remember when we were at Harvard and we were talking to George Church?
2: George Church, professor of genetics at Harvard Medical School. We were doing a show about bioengineering. So here's an example where we might grow up a large batch of of cells in a a fermenter.
4: Yeah. George Church was the guy who was trying to use little bacteria to make gasoline.
2: A couple of liters.
4: He is manipulating life. Right. He
3: also flirts around with the idea of eliminating the concept of death.
2: I think I, think we, I think I disagree that there is a quantum leap between living and non-living. I think there's a continuum between non-living and living, and you can create all sorts of things. Wait,
3: wait, at some point, like if I were to shoot you in the head yeah. and you were to fall on the floor with a yeah. hole in your head and bleed yeah. and I have no nurse or no doctor help you, yeah. at some point your state will have changed fundamentally. Okay. You'll stop breathing I, I, and
2: you'll be over. Um, but I won't necessarily... Yes, you will be dead. I, I, I'm saying that depending on the probability of a doctor coming into the room and fixing me and the probability of more advanced technology and being able to reverse all kinds of pathological damage, there's a value to saying that, that there is a continuum between life and death. And I'll conti- give you the continuum, but I'm also saying that there will be a certain point in which you are unmistakably over. It, with current technology... Uh, but not necessarily with future technology, and, and there, there may be... I mean, you're you know,
3: saying that it is possible that you can never be totally dead, that that might be a reversible state at some point?
2: Well, if we recorded the position of all my atoms, and we could recreate the position of all those atoms, uh, you could completely burn me into atoms and then reassemble, and isn't at the, isn't the end I'm alive again?
3: Uh, yes, I suppose in the conceptual. If, if you get to be really, really, really clever, I guess you could re- re- reverse everything. But I'm maybe we could never get that clever, or, or do you think
2: that, that well, I mean, I, I just I, I think it's going to boil down to costs. You know, I, 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 the idea of death implies that there is a sharp point at which you a point of no return, and I'm saying this gets gets harder and harder and harder, um, but not and, impossible. And and I don't see that as particularly impossible. I mean, if you've recorded the state of the living thing before it it starts going into this impossible decay, you just start from scratch and you build it from scratch. Nothing is really completely lost. Nothing is completely gained. The main thing that is retained through all this is the information. And George Church thinks
3: that being alive is having all that information. So, Jan? Mm. If I knew where all your atoms are right now, you could
4: always come back. That's his view. Oh, God. (laughs) Come back. (laughs) It's a terrible thought for you, isn't it? Mm.
3: (laughs) For my taste, there's a much more pleasant way to think about it. What's that? Um, The other way to think about it is to think like Bernd Heinrich, a professor at the University of Vermont, who got a curious letter and a wonderful letter, I think, from a student of his named
5: Bill. He was a grad student in entomology at UC Berkeley when I was teaching there, and uh, he came out and visited at the camp in Maine.
3: Bernd, you see, has a cabin in 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 the western part of Maine, up on the top of a mountain. It's actually very beautiful, set in the woods of spruce and pine bill the grad student did spend some time there and then he moved back to southern california and a few years passed and then this letter arrived mm-hmm. did you have any sense that there was anything wrong before you got the letter or was this out of the blue no
5: no i had no sense whatsoever no he was hale and hearty, and uh, then i got that letter
3: so here's how the letter went it begins yo burnt i have been diagnosed with a severe illness and i'm trying to get my final disposition arranged in case i drop sooner than i hoped I want an abbey burial. This phrase abbey burial refers to a guy named Edward Abbey who was a very, very famous ecologist and who was brought into the desert by his best friends in a sleeping bag right after he died and just put in the ground, no embalming, no coffin, lightly covered with with sand, and that's where they left him. That is what Bill wanted to have happen. Anyhow, the upshot is, he wrote, one of the options is burial on private property. What are your thoughts on having an old friend as a permanent resident at the camp, signed Bill? In other words, Bill wanted to be laid out on the ground, not even under the ground, at Burnt's place in Maine.
5: I wrote him, uh, I think, uh, I don't think I I would want to have him laid out in front of my camp in Maine. (laughs) I think that's, uh, although, you know, uh, if it was a wilderness where, you know, people are not going to be walking around, uh, then, uh, you know, I, I would think more favorably of it. I think right now, I don't think we want to have carcasses lying around in the woods. You know, I definitely don't think that.
3: But he did write Bill this. He wrote, I read you loud and clear. When it's my turn, I, too, want no less for myself. A casket would be for you, as it was for Edward Abbey, an unacceptable cage for otherwise free and ever-recycling molecules that would soon become incorporated into the Earth's ecosystem.
5: You know, I I agree with the idea. I I just feel that, you know, being sealed up and totally removed from all the natural processes uh, that normally occur with every animal on Earth is is very somehow frightening. It seems unnatural, and I don't know, it just... uh, it's
3: funny that you used the word frightening. I think most people lock themselves up in a casket because they're frightened to be yeah. munched on by worms and beetles and things. Yeah.
5: No, I don't, I don't find that frightening at all. I find that comforting to be part of the ecosystem. To be composed into grass, to be composed into ravens, uh, to be composed into flowers and uh, trees, you know, that, that's a comforting thought to me.
3: That's that's the other way to think about it, is that you're releasing yourself for the chance to be lots and lots and lots and lots of different, new, and more beautiful lives that will succeed you, which... I don't know. Well, wait, wait. I, I would say yeah. that if I could become plants and new animals... Well, and, would that make you swoon? No, it would make me feel like I'm... Like, I'm a collection of molecules. I'm here for a season, 60, 70, 80 years, whatever, and then I... Let my molecules go. I disappear and the molecules go on to new adventures. Yeah, but it's that there's something but,
4: there but then you're gone. Yeah, I'm gone. You're lost.
5: Well, the you
1: that was
4: here for 60, 70, 80 years, whatever, is suddenly not here anymore and there is in that an absence. There's a vacancy. Don't you feel that? I mean, I I love for the Beatles and the things and everyone to be together <laughs> again. <laughs> but there is also the sense that when you disappear you're gone, you're not, I mean I understand on some level what George Church was saying to you. I mean, why if you've got the technology, would you want to lose something so precious as a friend or a family member or a lover or something or a co-host? <laughs> when you when you can bring that person back. And and you know what, forget us because it gets kind of egocentric when you're talking about bringing yourself back. But what about collections of ideas that are lost forever, like a language. I think the status like one language disappears every 14 days. Disappears from the earth, never to be spoken again because the last speaker of that language dies and then decomposes and is eaten by the beetles, according to your fantasy. Well, how would you recover them? Well, who knows, but we were talking to a guy, David Eagleman. He's a, a neuroscientist. I don't know what a neuroscientist would usually know about such
1: things, but he mentioned this thought experiment that has to do with Lost languages. For example, nobody knows what Latin sounds like, right? It's dead because all the people who spoke Latin, there weren't tape recorders around when they were doing it, and so essentially we all say, "All right, that's that's a it's dead, it's gone." But it turns out somebody made a proposal that probably wouldn't work, but it was so stunning in its creativity uh, that I thought it was very interesting, which is. He said, look, sometimes these Roman pottery makers, if you can imagine these uh, wheels that turn, these pottery wheels, and you have a little stylus against the piece of pottery um, to make the line that spirals down. He said if there were people talking in the room while that was happening, there might be micro vibrations that caused the stylus to move in and out. And as a result, it essentially could act like a record. And if you could play it back from these pieces of Roman pottery, you could actually hear the people in the room talking in Latin. Aha!
4: Wow. I mean, you could play a vase like a like an LP and then hear like um, Prothetius, you know, the, the potter. You could hear his voice.
1: Precisely. Now, the thing is, it probably won't work exactly like that. But what's interesting about the idea is that we're constantly coming up with new technologies where then we can retrieve things that we once thought were dead. In other words, we thought the information sort of scattered off into the universe. And then we're finding with a new technology, we're able to bring it all back together.
4: What was that? What was that? Those, are, those are dead languages coming back. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that is it was probably from a sound oh, I see. Library. so all those languages that were disappearing that's their return it was a gesture I was trying to evoke the sense of languages returning from okay. the cosmos brilliantly and being, done yeah, brilliantly well. done <laughs> alright smart guy <laughs> yes you know if you want to stand for the proposition as you were earlier that uh, you you'd be happy to decompose and become part of mother nature again in my time well that's what I was going to ask you what if you had the choice right now to persist or, I don't know, I, I can't... Persist, I don't... obviously. Well, okay then, let's end with a sort of ode to the persisters.
5: <laughs> and this one
4: comes from our producer, Ellen Horn.
5: So, everybody's going to
4: count out loud. Okay, set the scene for me. Where are we?
0: Well, we're, we're near Wall Street in Manhattan, and this is a CPR class. It's a Sunday afternoon. Okay. Everybody
1: ready? Mm-hmm.
0: There's about 25 students okay. here. Begin.
4: And everyone's just basically pressing on dummies? Is that what's happening?
0: Yeah. They press in the middle of the chest 30 times. And then they tip the mannequin's head back and blow into the mouth twice. But here's the central problem with doing CPR really well. It's the tempo. You need to get the tempo right. If you do it too slow...
4: You don't get enough
0: pressure up to get the blood moving around the body. And if you do it too fast, then the heart doesn't have time to fill back up. And what's
4: the ideal speed?
0: This. The 100 beats per minute. In this class, the class that's just learning CPR, it's hard to hear, but if you listen... 2, two
1: 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, they're
0: just a little bit too fast. And how
4: exactly do you get people to do 100 beats per minute? That seems uh, like abstract or something.
0: Well, it's been shown that if you ask people to think of a song, they always remember it at the right tempo. Really? And there's this guy, Allison Inaba.
4: I'm a pediatric emergency medicine physician in Honolulu, Hawaii. And he
0: teaches CPR. Mm-hmm. And he was trying to figure out a good way
4: to remember what 100 compressions a minute should feel like when you're doing CPR. So I thought, find a song, a popular song that had a beat of approximately 100 beats per minute. So w- what's the song?
0: And the song he came up with.
4: Staying Alive by the Bee Gees. No. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, you help people stay alive.
0: Well, you 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. Wow, and they did this to the class you went to? Yeah. This has caught fire. CPR classes all over the world.
4: Egypt, Argentina,
0: Botswana, Japan. We're using this to teach the right tempo of CPR.
4: Just happened to stumble upon it, and uh, it was, uh, I think, one of the best teaching tips I came up with in my career so far.
0: There is another song, though, that's a has a much simpler, more direct downbeat. Same tempo? Same tempo. And I asked the class to try this song. Now remember, it's one and a half to two inches. Remember those
2: numbers. Wait a second.
0: Another one One, two, three. Again. dust. Oh, that's so wrong.
5: and Another six, one bites the dust. Hey, Don't get to another one, one bites the dust. Hey, hey, two, two. One buys the dust.
4: <laughs> it's got a better beat in a way than, than, uh, yeah, yeah, than the other I one. Yeah, I guess. I, uh, and it's certainly more frank Yes, but we should we should um, Let this Say podcast goodbye. die <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> And speaking of which Just want to urge you before we close To support your public radio station Radiolab is carried on More than 200 stations across the country You can check radiolab.org To see if your station carries us If they do, even if they don't Please consider making a gift To support that station Because without them, without you We wouldn't exist We would die Don't let us die Radio Lab is supported by The Sloan Foundation Yes, number one, Alfred P. Sloan And number two The National Science Foundation And number three, the Corporation for Public Broadcasting I'm Jad Albumrath I'm Robert Culloch Thanks for listening